welcome to the Graceway Sermon Cast. Graceway is a Baptist church located in Lexington, Kentucky. We have a heart for God and a deep love for people. You can learn more about our church by visiting www.gracewaylex.org. Now, here's this week's message. So I just began to pray again, God, okay, what really is a church supposed to be? In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 19, we're going to read these. And we're going to talk a little bit more about this. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Holy Spirit in the inner man. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend all the saints, all, with all the saints what is his breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. In this passage, we get a little description about the things that are important to God among his family. And we're going to break that down a little bit, but I want us to know, I mean, I almost did something really radical this morning, and I thought, radical for me because it might have really, you know, uh, embarrassed me more than I normally embarrass myself. Um, but, you know, we, we, we had this song years ago that we used to sing, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I've been born in the, by the fountain, cleansed by his blood. Join heirs with Jesus as we travel this side, for I'm part. I'm part of the family of God. When we talk about God, how is God most consistently referred to in the Bible outside of the term God? Father. He's the father of a family. When he includes you into his eternal perspective, how does he relate to you? A child. He calls you a child. He calls you a part of his family. And that we ought to know him and respect him as the father of this family. He sees the heavenly experience of his family being what we need. I like it where he talks about the, all the families of the earth driving their name in heaven and earth. Have you ever given much thought to this? I, my, my mind started chasing this a little bit as I was studying this this week. Have you ever realized or thought so much about heaven really being like a family? And not just about you getting to heaven and getting your streets of gold mansion and all that kind of stuff. But it's really more about living life, functioning life eternally as a family where God is the head of the family. And there's no bickering, there's no backbiting, there's no sibling rivalry going on. But it's just a beautiful family experience with God as our father. I mean, that's what he's called us to. Several years ago, I guess it's 22 now, this coming October. Some of us got together and uh, we're praying about developing a fellowship that we would meet together with. And we wanted to figure out what really ought we be like. And so we gathered together with uh, some great brothers, Gene Myers, who we love and know he's experiencing his eternal family now. Uh, David Asher, uh, Keith Starsman was a part of that group. Don was a part of that group, myself. And we sat together in the living room of, a, of Dave Asher's house and... And I had a task before getting there because we had talked about what, uh, what are we going to do for the future. We want to we de develop a, a fellowship together and move on with the Lord. And we just felt like that's what God was telling us to do. 
So when I was asked about that, I said, I'll tell you what I want to do. I want to come and just share with you what I really think God says it's supposed to be like as I've learned to that point. Because I, I was in the process of unlearning the things I thought I knew. <laughs> and so as I prayed, I came together, you know, with them and, and I shared with them a vision for living hope. I'm going to read it to you. You know, I don't like doing that when, we, when I share with you. I don't like to just read stuff to you. But I'm going to do that. It's an it's a, a, a introductory paragraph and then about four principles. And I'm doing that because it really tells, I think, what is the thought process behind what a lot of things we've come to accept and live according to in, in our experience together as a fellowship. So l- let me just read some of that. Vi- the vision for living hope. Our vision is to function as a family unit within the larger family of God. It is our goal to be an, an encouragement to one another and sharpen one another unto maturity in Jesus Christ to the point of being able to bring others to Jesus. It's our purpose to live in harmony and love, seeking to preserve the unity of the Spirit and bond of peace. The vision lived out in family principles is, is important. There are at least four family principles of the family of God that are important to consider in growing together as a fellowship. It's my belief, thus says Chris, not the Lord, but I think it came from him or I wouldn't have said it. It's my belief that these principles are best practiced in a regular weekly gathering as, as well as making time to build fa- uh, deep relationship in homes and various other places. And so then I, I just shared what I thought were those four principles. One, the principle of love in gathering together. Love for believers should be the primary motivation for gathering with them. My gathering with you week after week ought not just be because that's the rule. That's what I'm supposed to do. If I really want to please God, I want to check off that box of going to church and not forsake the assembly of the, of the brethren, Right? I mean, that's what he asks us to do. But what should be the motivation behind that? Well, twofold. You saw it when you came in. You'll see it when you leave. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's a love commitment in gathering. And so that's what God's called us to, to live according to a love principle. He sent Christ to die for us, and that gives us that common denominator and love relationship one with another. He just wants us to be he just wants to be with us in our relationship of love with him and he wants us to be with him in an intimate genuine way. This should be the heart of the brethren when they gather. This love should never embrace a heart of accusation. Man, we just emptied half the churches in America. I mean, let's be honest. This should never be the the case when we come together as brothers and sisters in Christ. There should not be coming together with us a spirit of accusation or correction or or I'm going to get them straightened out eventually. (laughs) But instead, I just want to come and be with God's family and love on them, let them love on me. Well, I'm, I'm getting on beyond just what I wrote, right? Okay. Should never embrace a heart of accusation, but should always seek selflessness and submissiveness to one another. Think about that. Not coming with a spirit of accusation, coming with a spirit of selflessness, which means you're more important than I am, and 
Submissiveness means I'll lay my life down for you. Those should be the character traits of love within the principles of the family of God. Secondly, the principle of leadership. Jesus said a house divided against itself cannot stand. I mean, this is probably the hardest thing for Americans because we all believe we're in charge. And we all want to be in charge, <laughs> if we be honest. Absolutely, it's not always the case. I know that because when I go on vacation, my family hates it because I won't be in charge. <laughs> It's kind of, if I am, it's not vacation for me. So I won't pick where we go eat. I won't pick what's the schedule for the day. They hate it sometimes. But sometimes that's our American way. Well, let's go back to that for a second. The principle of leadership. Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. For the sake of avoiding division, leadership should be respected. Let me ask you something. I'm just thinking out loud here as I'm reading, obviously, and you getting to be able to hear it. <laughs> what is it? inside of us that has an immediate awkwardness, uneasiness, maybe, in, maybe even intrepidness when somebody starts talking about leadership being respected? Happens, doesn't it? Why is that? Because we've all been exposed to problems in leadership. We've all had people vying for power, hungry and hungry positions and all that. And, and as a result, we kind of get defensive and we're not so sure that we can trust somebody else. And, and when we gain that mentality in the body, we are really hurting ourselves because we don't end up letting God bring to pass in our life what he wants us to experience. He wants us to learn how to trust one another. Years ago, we started Living Hope and we, we had a, an elder body develop because I didn't want to be the Lone Ranger. I didn't see it in Scripture. I didn't want to be the head honcho in the camp. I didn't see it in Scripture. I saw that I was supposed to be submitted one to another with other brothers in the faith as we led the fellowship together. And so we did that, you know. And so that's what that principle of leadership, I think, is all about. It says there uh, in this document, it's for this reason that the Word of God lays the foundation of leadership roles and supportive roles in a family. It is the job of a father to lead in accountability to God with his family's well-being at heart. It is the job of the family to support leadership in prayer lovingly, share the concerns of, the, the heart and, uh, of their heart, and depend on God to lead those he has placed in uh, his leadership. This principle carries over in the body of Christ. You see it throughout Scripture. As Christ is the head quote, leader of the church, so too. A husband is seen as the leader of the family in the same way God calls leaders, we call them elders, to the responsible role of leading a family. And so we just seek to honor that and try to walk under that principle. What else did I see? Well, there's a third principle I saw in the family principle of the church. And, and this is all by way of introduction, so settle down and get comfortable. No, I'm just <laughs> It's not going to be that crazy, but... But we want to get these principles laid out again for us. The principle of maturation. What's that? What do I mean? The idea that you're going to grow. Not just numerically, but internally, right? In, in, in terms of spiritual growth. Every family unit has as its aim the maturation of its members, right? I mean, if a couple doesn't grow deeper together, if, even if they have no kids, if y'all don't grow deeper together, y'all going to have some trouble. You know, sometimes we think it's only about having kids. It's not. It's about maturing together as a family. 
Now, I think God wants to add kids to his family as well. And so, you know, as it relates to a church, that's part of what we're after, right? But, but the idea there is maturation and growth. Every family unit has at its aims the maturation of its members. Any parent would have great concern if they see the stagnation and continued immaturity of their child, wouldn't they? I mean, Autumn and Joe just went through a, a, just a tremendously difficult time in their life with a baby being born, a wonderful time, but yet a challenging time because the baby wasn't where it ought to be yet. And they weren't sure that baby was going to make it initially because she was so small. But in these last few weeks, they begin to see just ounces <laughs> that really was the same thing as saying years to them because those ounces gained meant that baby was going in the right direction, maturing little by little, and now she goes home. And that maturing is not going to stop. If that baby stops right now, we ain't in good shape, are we? <laughs> Somehow or another, that gets lost in the concept of what a family is supposed to be in the kingdom of God. We should never be at the place that we think we've arrived. If you think you know it all, you don't know as you ought to know. <laughs> and so maturity is what God's after. Maturity for the body of Christ is measured by this, the reflection of Jesus in the life of an individual. The attributes of humility, servanthood, selflessness are the greatest marks of maturity in the life of a believer. Why do I say that? I mean, these are, there's lots of biblical foundation to these things, and I would love to take you to all of them, but boy, you'd really be here a long time. But let me just talk about that concept just for a second, what I just said, and, and get your response to that. Why is this true? The attributes of humility, servanthood, and selflessness are the greatest marks of maturity in the life of a believer. You notice what's missing there. What's missing is not a seminary degree. What's missing is not your ability to correct everybody else's doctrine. That's not there. Why didn't I have those things there? Why am I saying that I really believe the marks of maturity are showing up in the attitudes of humility, servanthood, selflessness, and the, these should be considered as the greatest marks of maturity? Why do I say that? Think about it. Thank you. That's exactly it. If you didn't hear her, she said... That's how Jesus was. That was the demonstration of what human maturity should look like in relationship with God. Not Robert E. B. equal with God, but he humbled himself, came, could have been the king of kings, literally in the flesh why he came, but instead, born in a manger, throughout his whole life, instead of pushing his own thing, laying his life down for others, and you and me included. These are the marks of maturity and the follower, follower of Jesus Christ. And then, fourthly, standing by reason, a healthy family reproduces, and that should be the mark of healthiness in our family as a, as a believer. In, in his creation of the family, God gave to it the responsibility to be fruitful, multiply, continued existence. The continued existence of the family depends on the ability of the family members to multiply or reproduce their own lives. We never need to lose sight of that. Every single one of us as individuals ought to have that on our heart. How do I reproduce the life of Christ in another? I know it's dependent on the Holy Spirit. I know only He can do that. I get all that. But is that the desire of my heart? That I would somehow be able to be a part of the process 
of God, birthing another one into the kingdom of God. We're going to talk about that in just a second. That's how it happens, right? And so we want to be a part of that, and we want to be aimed at that, and I hope that's your heartbeat. That's what we need to be about as a fellowship, a family of, of our Lord. Of course, no one is born into the kingdom of God but by the Holy Spirit. It's true also that God has chosen of necessity to use children, his children, as instruments to reproduce the life of Jesus in the lives of others. Don't ever forget what a privilege that is, because that's exactly what it is. A healthy fellowship of believers sees its members active in this reproductive process. Hey, we all got room to grow, right? We got room to grow there. That we would be very keenly focused on, God, please use me in conveying the life message of Jesus in the life of another. So in our, in our text, there were several things listed there that kind of support these whole family concepts that we've just been talking about. So uh, what, I, what I laid a foundation for in reading that document was to say this. Church life in the kingdom of God is supposed to be like a family. That's what God calls it refers itself as family to us and calls us children. And in living that way, how does that, how does that get seen? And that passage we looked at, I think, kind of lays that out for us, how that gets seen. And so as we go back to that, I want to just focus on a few things real quick, and we're going to move pretty quick, so stay with me because I'm going to share a few verses of Scripture. You'll just want to write them down as we get through, and if Stephen can keep up with me, great. If he can't, I'm rolling on, baby. <laughs> how do you get to be a part of this family? I mean, you don't just get to come and sign up. It ain't like that. It's not just a sign-up deal. You can't buy your way in either. Did you know that? And you know, I, I, I used to think, believe it or not, some of y'all heard me say this before, when I was a little boy, I really thought I was good enough to get to heaven because of my granddad. I'd get in on his coattails. Man, he really loved Jesus. I knew a guy, this is absolutely true, I knew a guy who I used to work with in youth ministry years ago in Louisville, Kentucky. He believed he was a Christian when he was a boy because he lived in America. And he believed it because the dollar bill said what? That's right. And he thought because of that, he, he must be a Christian. He got into his college years before he understood any different than that when somebody explained the gospel to him. Can you imagine that? It doesn't happen that way, does it? How does somebody become a part of this family of God? It's by the Holy Spirit in the inner being bringing him to life. Look at the first verse of that Ephesians text that we had a little while ago. In that verse, it reminds you, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, let's go on, from whom, in heaven, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. That's life coming alive in you. He does it through his Holy Spirit coming into your life, and you become alive in him and strengthened in the inner man. How does anyone get to see that happen? Well, John 3, 6 makes it clear. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You get to be made alive in Christ by what God does through the Holy Spirit when you submit your heart to Him. Jesus told Nicodemus, don't be surprised you've got to be born again. That's what it's got to take. In John 1, 12, but as many as received Him. Here's the process. Here's how it happened. As many as received Him to them. Gave he power to become sons of God, even to them who believe on his name. 
We could go on and on and on in Scripture. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and life. Nobody comes to the Father but by me. It's not happening any other way. You come to an acknowledgement of your need of forgiveness of sin, and you cry out to God for forgiveness, and you acknowledge that he provided a way for you to be a part of his family. And that if you'll just trust the work that he did on the cross to forgive you of your sin, do the work of God by believing on his name, trusting him for salvation, he will adopt you into his family. And in so doing, you get to be a joint heir with Jesus. Now, man, this is opening up too many sermons, right? But just think about that. That's how you get to be a part of that family. Well, let's step on real quick. God's family, when you become a part of it, knows how to love each other. I want you to think about that for a second. This passage back in Ephesians, you're going to bounce back and forth there a little bit, Stephen, just to give you a heads up. But as we follow that last verse where we were, see if you can get us to where we ended up. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that's where we were, and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth? Back up now. So that you, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts. There you are, faith in Christ through faith. And that you being rooted and grounded in love. That's what happens when you become part of the family. You get this root of love planted deep inside of you. And matter of fact, you become rooted in that love. Let's say it that way. That's the way it's really conveyed to us. And as you are rooted and grounded in love, what happens? Well, you become connected to the... You ever grafted anything into something? I'm not good on that. I, I, I'm going to mess up trying to explain it, and I'm going to hear all day long from Connie how it was supposed to do. Because <laughs> she knows how to do that long. No, she's not like that. She'll tell me once, though. <laughs> Just tease it. So anyway, that, that, that grafting process, in a sense, is getting rooted into the vine. And it becomes part of that vine. And once it's intact, is it now individual anymore? It's not. It's part of the vine. That's the concept as we are coming into Christ, that we're rooted and grounded in the love of God, and that's our identity as you go through scripture, there's tons of stuff on this. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I loved you that you ought to also love one another. I, I'm going to tell you something. We've heard this. We kick this concept around. I'm about to say it's kind of ridiculous. Oh, yeah, I love everybody. I just don't like them. I, I, I hate that kind of phrase. I'm fine with this phrase. I love them. I don't like what they do. Some people do some pretty stupid things, me included. I promise you, no amens, Connie. I promise you there are some things I do that people don't like. It's got nothing to do with my commitment to love them and like them as an individual. Not like what they do, but like them as an individual and love them as an individual because when we say we don't like somebody we're essentially saying I just can't stand that person yeah how do you love the person you can't stand we're called to love one another John 15 12 
This is my commandment, that you love one another. Because it's a good thing to do. As I loved you. As a young boy in the Lord, I'll never forget walking into Zondervan Bookstore. Anybody ever heard of that? In Louisville, Kentucky, that was the Christian bookstore to go to, Zondervan Bookstore. I'll never forget the first time walking in there as a young Christian and the plaque was on the wall that I still have burned into my mind where it says, I asked Jesus how much he loved me and he said this much and he stretched out his arms and died for me. That's the kind of love we're talking about. That's the kind of motivational love we ought to have. That's what the Word of God says, that I ought to be loving you, you ought to be loving me, just as He loves me. Hmm. Pretty tall order. But capable and possible in the Spirit of God. John 13, 35, By this shall all men know you are my disciples. How? So if I'm not a loving person... I'm going to really create a lot of doubt in the mind of people around me, aren't I? If I say I'm a believer, I love Jesus Christ, I'm a part of his family, but I am that guy that's always the, the nitpicker, the arguer, the, you know, looking for faults all the time instead of wanting to encourage and build up, then I am casting a shadow of doubt on those around me as to whether or not I'm even a believer. Because my love is what's going to help them know I'm a believer. And I'm erasing that. And now I'm making people say, well, I don't know if he's a believer or not. Well, why would you say that? Well, have you seen how he acted? Yesterday I was watching a, a video of Francis Chan talking about people that he had served with in ministry at different places. And somebody's asking him to, to pick the ones he likes and pick the ones he don't like because they're different theology and all that kind of stuff. And he said, you know what I really think I have to do is I've got to look at the individual and see if I see the love of God alive in them. I am, I'm supposed to love everybody, right? And when I see their love at work in the wor lives of other people, shouldn't I know that's my brother? They're professing Christ and I'm seeing that come through their life. And shouldn't that be the case for us? We don't want anybody to have any doubt, do we? I don't. I hope you don't either. <laughs> well, the last thing I want to talk to you about today is the fact that this passage helps us remember some of the things we talked about in that document. God's family produces maturity. That's what happens. When you're in the family of God, you grow. If you're not growing and you call yourself a part of the family of God, I want you to know there's something bad wrong. It's like a baby who was born and is now not growing any, not picking up any ounces. There's a problem with that, and if that was the case, you'd be running to find every doctor you could to figure out what's wrong and get it fixed. And if we as people in the, in the family of God say that we're part of the family of God and we don't see any maturing, any growing up, any commitment to what God wants in our life, any desire to be what he's called us to be and live like he's called us to live, if that's not happening, if our attitudes toward one another is not reflecting the character of Jesus instead of the character of non-believers then we ought to have flags flying up like crazy saying, there's a problem here somewhere. I need to go seek a doctor. His name's Dr. Jesus. And I need to find out why do I have this bitterness in me? Why do I have this frustration in me? Why am I angry all the time? What's going on? My character trait, if I'm growing and maturing in the family of God, should be greater love, not less love. Have you ever noticed, now this is, I'm going to get from preaching to meddling now. Have you ever noticed in the life of a lot of believers 
that they're more excited and in love with people around them when they first get saved, but something happens over time? Is it any wonder that Jesus says, hey, I got a problem? What happened to your first love? What's going on here, church? He was deeply concerned about that. That ought to be an absolute revelation of our growing in the Lord. And if there's a problem with that, it ought to be an absolute flag flying up. And me saying, oh God, why do I feel that way toward that person? Why do I feel this way toward a group of people? What's really in your heart? Ephesians 4.13 says, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of full stature, which belongs to the fullness of Christ. God wants us to continue to grow. Love is the beginning place, I'm just saying to you, by the way. And, and you think about that and how sad that is, because so many people are still struggling with step one, learning how to love each other. But once we get there, we should be going on to greater maturity. Paul says it in another place, the whole deal about, hey, I want to come and talk to you about some things, but you ought to be teaching each other about the depth of the faith of Christ, but you're still like babes drinking a bottle instead of chewing meaty food. It's because they can't even get past the love thing. You know, that's, that's amazing to me. That was Hebrews 5.14, by the way. Hebrews 5.12 says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. Are we in that place? I hope not. I hope we're moving on. I hope we see maturity happening in our life. Lastly, I would say this. God's family members have inherited a lot. I mean, I could just talk forever about this. It's in a little, little phrase at the end of that passage in Ephesians. Go back to that passage again, the last verse, Stephen. For to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, listen to this, that you may be filled up with just a few things God wants you to have. That's not what it says. With the fullness of God. Stop and think about that for a second. That's a lot. That we might be filled up with the fullness of God. This is the one, this is one of the ways that you will know that you're maturing in the faith, in your love relationship with God and for others, and that as that happens, you begin to be aware of his fullness in your life. That you are being led and being, listen, even controlled by the presence of Holy Spirit in your life. You begin to say something and you know you shouldn't, but because the fullness of the Spirit is there, speaks to you and says, no, 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 we don't talk like that. No, no, we don't act that way. <laughs> no, no, and he corrects us, right, because of his fullness in there. Paul talks about it in many places in the Scripture, and the apostles were consistently being filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm not talking about just a little dabble, do you? I'm talking about this is, you're consumed by him. Constantly. One of my favorite verses of scripture, Romans 8. Well, you hear me say it all the time. I got a lot of favorites. But Romans 8, verse 14 to 17. Let me just read these to you again. This is one of those marks of maturity that you're getting a hold of the awareness of this. And if I know I'm not being led by the Spirit, some big flags ought to come up in my mind. For all, not one, not two, 
all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. You know, I'm an antithesis thinker. You know that, right, by now? Go back. What's that mean, then? All who are not being led by the Spirit of God are what? Not the sons of God. All that are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God, verse 15. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father, I love that phrase, Daddy. I mean, I am, I am of you. You are my Father. I, I'm in this family. What a blessing. Go on. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, I love that. I love what he's done here. Don't just think because you heard me say those things that you necessarily are one. You better do some internal self-checking. Make sure that you know you're the Lord. You have given your life to him. You see the birth of love alive in your life. You are intent on wanting to follow his Holy Spirit. You're desirous to be what he wants you to do, and you see that you're growing up a little bit. Not that you've got already there, because if you think that, you've not gone anywhere, right? We're keeping it all together in the same basket. But here, if children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him. In other words, he's saying that's part of the package. I'm not going to restrain back for fear that I might go un undergo a little bit of discomfort. I'm stepping out with him no matter where it takes me. We could go on and on about that, right? It's like going to Africa, isn't it? I mean, it's, it can be scary sometimes. But you go because he tells you to go, or you do because he tells you to do, or you love because he tells you to love, or you grow up in him because you know that's what's healthy in him. So we do this, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. And he gets honored, and that's the goal, that's his desire, that he gets honored in our life because we're simply choosing to grow up in him as he leads us. I didn't know. I, th I thought it was just get up early, come in, and get the bulletin, and sit down, and sing a song, and, you know, and listen to the sermon, and get up, and, you know, maybe I'm supposed to give a little bit of my money. Well, actually, I'm supposed to, oh, now I'm really going to go messing with you. All of it is. Oh, don't go there. Why not? It is. It's true. It's all his. But I'm going to be a steward how he tells me to handle it. It's all his. You know? Well, I'm, I'm chasing the wrong rabbit. <laughs> but the issue there, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come in and, and experience life in the family of God and going to understand that it's a whole lot more than the bulletins, the songs, the padded chairs, the ushers, the, all the stuff that we do. It's a family that you've been called into. Didn't know what I didn't know. And guess what? I'm still learning. <laughs> there is how much of the fullness of God in his family have we yet to experience? We could think about that for a while. I'm sure it's a lot. That's why for me, you know, I, I was raised a Catholic. I got a, I got a Baptist seminary degree. But some of the people I learned the most from in my life had nothing to do with either one of those. Or could it be that God loves them too? 
and that God wants to teach me through them too? Yeah, <laughs> it could. Well, I've been, I've been studying the Lord's Supper stuff here lately because that's kind of become the big thing, if you're aware of the, all the study of the Eucharist out of the Eastern Orthodox Church. We'll talk some more about that down the road. But, but one of the things that is true that the church has kind of lost sight of, one we experience today, the ordinance of baptism. There's two ordinances, right? Everybody's aware of them, right? What are they? Baptism and the Lord's Supper. Those are the two main ordinances of the church. The baptism ordinance is all about reflecting to the world what we know has happened to us. Old life gone, new life here. The Lord's Supper is all about reflecting to one another that we understand we're in one family together by what he did for us. And I, and I will agree that the, the importance of the Lord's Supper has lost a lot. Now, I'm... Don't worry, I'm not in some of these transubstantiation concepts and all that. But I'm just saying, we ought to understand the importance of the unity of the faith. That's what the Lord's Supper is all about. We are unified in Him. All of us have our blood from Him, our life from Him. We're all in that family. All right. I, I cut it in half, I promise you. <laughs> But we got the gist of it. And what a blessing it's been already just to hear and see God doing what he's doing among us today through how he's working, bringing us into one sense of family mindset. Uh, you saw it on the banner when you came in. Uh, we've been talking about it here for the last several weeks. We get the joy of walking this year, two fellowships in one family, for however long God takes us together. Who knows? Well, the reality is, is it's for eternity. I mean, that's the reality of it. And so we, we want to understand that we're all one family. But as we walk in that, let's do two things. Let's understand that that's the way it is. It's one family. We get that. We've learned a lot about the reality. But the, let's also hold on to this reality. We got room to grow. We got room to understand more depth of that, what that means and how we relate to each other, how we live it out, how he gets glorified through us. Let's Thank you for listening today. At Graceway, our strongest desire is to glorify Christ by telling everyone about His grace. If you have questions or are in need of spiritual help, please reach out to us by visiting www.gracewaylex.org and click on the Contact Us section, or you can email us at gracewaylex at gmail.com. Our worship services are held each Sunday at 10.30 a.m. We'd love to worship with you this week. Until next time, take care and walk in the way of grace.